You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, an interview with activist Tamika Mallory. Mallory grew up a justice fighter. Her parents helped found Al Sharpton's National Action Network. By 11, Mallory was serving in the organization and would work at NAN for 14 years. From there, she's been on the forefront of activism, pushing the fights for social justice, voting, and women's rights, as well as police reform. She is a co-founder of the social justice organization Until Freedom. Mallory has become one of the most revered voices of her generation. Once identified as an emerging leader, she is now a woman who is on the front of today's civil rights movement. Her speech after George Floyd's killing is seen by many as one of the seminal speeches of this generation. This is a coordinated activity happening across this nation. And so we are in a state of emergency. Black people are dying in a state of emergency. We cannot look at this as an isolated incident. The reason why buildings are burning are not just for our brother, George Floyd. 
we're they're burning down because people here in Minnesota are saying to people in New York, to people in California, to people in Memphis, to people all across this nation, enough is enough. And we are not responsible for the mental illness that has been inflicted upon our people by the American government, institutions, and those people who are in positions of power. I don't give a damn if they burn down Target. Because Target should be on the streets with us, calling for the justice that our people deserve. She recently released the book State of Emergency, How We Can Win in the Country We Built. The book is a comprehensive look at Black America's continued fight for justice and equality. Tamika, congratulations on the book. I am so so, so excited to be here talking to you, of all people. Listen, about uh, Listen, I want to I want to ask you something about the title, uh, because it struck me state of emergency. Um, and we'll get to the subtitle in a minute. But, you know, when you think about state of emergency, it's it's imminent. The need to correct. Is that where you see where we are right now? Yeah. And I think we've been in the state of emergency for a long time. Um, I think some people felt that the point I was making uh, in Minneapolis when I spoke, you know, when right after George Floyd was murdered, that somehow George Floyd's um, death signaled a new state of emergency. Mm -hmm. But in fact, uh, the point that I, I was making is that we've been in this place for far too long, and that at this point we're bubbling over to a, a, a to something that I think is pretty dangerous. Um, I worry, you know, about where we're going with people who are being constantly impacted by these images of black men and women um, being abused and murdered. Uh, and I think George Floyd was just, uh, you know, another one of those Emmett Till moments. But certainly, the state of emergency has existed for far too long. When does the time run out? I think about, you know, you're writing about this. You were a part of the book that I put out last year. I think about what Don Lemon wrote and Bakari and all of us have been kind of on this clarion call to say, folks, yeah, it's time for us to deal. When does time run out? Well, I hope it has run out. Um, That's what I hope. I hope we're in a place where we're going to see some real change. But the fact that May 25th, which is when uh, uh, President Biden said he wanted to see the just the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act pass, it has now passed. On. Yeah. And in fact, we are a month later um, and we didn't get anything. And so it tells me that, again, Ed, we're in a real dangerous place because I don't know how many more times people, I mean, we're already starting to see um, the way that we saw in Minneapolis, that after these incidents happen, the country is literally burning in certain places, very similar to that of the 60s. I think the time has run out. And what I, what I am, what I'm in, what I'm deeply focused on in this moment. And, you know, as you know, as a leader yourself, that you sort of have to be introspective. You've got to go deep inside. And that is to figure out how we stop these people from playing with us. Like, what do we do? We don't want to see violence on our streets. Um, we want to protect our people, our communities. We want to protect as much as we can. 
Um, and we and we do all we can to tell people you've got to get out there and vote. You've got to keep showing up in the process. But folks are getting tired of that. And as a leader, we have to find a new new lingo mm-hmm. to even discuss this um, with our communities. And that for me is it's a dangerous place to be. I don't know if you feel that way, but certainly I do. Well, I have certainly felt that way. I mean, that was the whole idea of me writing the book that I wrote. I I really felt like, and it was about new narratives. I felt like we have to have new narratives. Whatever we have used to get us to this point has gotten us to this point, but it's not working any longer. We've got to bust through something, you know, at some point. What I love about the forward in your book is that you have two generations of people uh, who speak to the conditions and speak to what you're doing. And that's Cardi B. And Angela Davis, Um, you know, and some people forget historically. And I think um, you guys deal with it. The idea that some people look cross eyed or side eyed at at Cardi B sometimes. Um, And she is not the traditional leader. She's not the traditional sense of who we, quote unquote, should have in the front and leading yet. Uh, There have always been entertainers in the struggle. And quite frankly, entertainers often move the needle more than leaders do. They certainly bring people who would never come to the fight uh, to the fight. How much do you believe, though, that we have to have a collective effort to move this needle generationally? Well, I'm so glad that you um, read the forward. And I want you to know that I was really intentional about this. I worked hard to get both Cardi and Dr. Davis together. Um, And that was against um, the suggestion of some folks um, within my camp. They were kind of like, well, have one or the other. They would take either, but they didn't see the point of having both of them. But I thought that it was critically important just because of what you asked. We're going to new narratives. We're shifting. We're trying to figure out new ways to fight this struggle. Having a, a separation, if you will, of our people will not get us there. We've got to make sure that there's room for Ray Ray and Keisha at the table with Dr. So-and-so at the same time, Um, because the ways in which um, our, you know, Cardi B can take a message and go out into the community and spread it is so important. And by the way, Cardi is not dumb at all. Like, by no means you don't you don't reach where she has reached and be. Exactly. Exactly. Not at all. She's a very, very intelligent woman who cares about Black people. She cares about our concerns and, and our issues. She wants to stop, um, you know, wants to, to see us, um, you know, win in this struggle to, to end the violence against our communities. And I, I appreciate so much how Dr. Davis takes the time to tell Cardi yeah. how important she is and her role in the movement and to tell her the story of Nina Simone um, when she sat with Nina Simone in a jail cell and told Nina, don't worry about what you haven't read. Don't worry about what you don't know. You have a platform that you can use to help us spread um, what we're trying to get done and to spread the message. And I think that those two things are critically important at this time that we cannot talk about our people without including them in the conversation. So if we're working on behalf of folks who are not at the table, we're missing the mark. We actually need those people who are most impacted to be at the center of the solution building in this moment. How do we get past what generations before didn't? And that is ego. 
So at the end of the day, we're all human. We all come to the table with egos, whether we admit it or not. We all want a little shine for the work we do and that kind of thing. Yet there does come a critical time where we have to start laying that aside. I had Lee Merritt on the show not uh, too long ago, and he talked about um, the idea of the fight. And we talked about the the whispers that are getting louder of late of criticism of some black leadership that, hey, you show up at the funeral, you show up at, um, you know, a press conference. But I don't I don't see the movement that I want to see said from the couch often by people who are doing very little. Give me a sense of how you have faced uh, that criticism and what you tell people who may not understand how daunting the fight is. Well, you know, first of all, the first question was dealing with the ego. And I would say that it's important to ensure that there are more women um, at the forefront of our movements, because um, while we still have ego, we all have it, as you said, um, I think women have found a way to sort of work around it. And, you know, we, we know how to dance to music in a different way. Um, we try to pull more people in. We're often the caretakers, the one to brush others on the back. And and, and to be quite honest, um, you know, I've worked with men for a long time and um, it's very different. I, the energy is different. You and I have talked about it mm-hmm. over and over again. Um, this idea that when women are leading, there is much more care for people included in the space. Um, and so I think that's one is empowering more of the Melanie Campbells and, um, you know, and, and so many. Let me not get in trouble for naming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and but Mrs. those that have been out there, we those, should know. Yeah. Should, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's one. Um, dealing with the criticism, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes that's all you can do is just say, ouch. But mm-hmm. there are other times when we have to push back because you mentioned something that's important. Oftentimes we're being criticized by people who do nothing, people who I see or very, very little people who I never see when I'm out living in Louisville, Kentucky, um, you know, out there in the communities, working with people and experiencing the trauma of, um, you know, of, of, of danger, because that's what we've been under. Um, the surveillance, the people outside of our homes, they would not be. Um, looking at us as a threat if we were not organizing and doing something. And those people who sit in their homes who are not experiencing any of those things have the most to say about what we need to be doing. And you know what I tell them, Ed? Outwork me. Do it better than I'm doing. Organize more. Show me where to show up to your thing. And usually when I say that, they kind of fall to the wayside. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think where we are now, we're in a space, um, and I have to tell myself this is me preaching to me, is that we just have to keep pushing forward. Because I do think that while we are in a dangerous moment and we are in a state of emergency, I do think, Ed, that we have the right elixir, if you will. Like, it's all there. The pieces are there. The people just have to push. Um, and we have to we we have to force this for this administration to go and do what is not politically expedient and what's not going to be comfortable. Uh, and the only way that we get there is by uniting, not being uniform, but uniting in some way that allows us to start. That's why right now I'm on the black, uh, the black voters matter tour with Latasha Brown, another incredible leader, um, because 
you know, until freedom has to support Black Voters Matter and Black Voters Matter has to support us in the work that we're doing so that we can build larger, stronger movements. And I think that's got to be the focus in this moment is how we built out our movements. So there's the critical point. You know, you talked about coalescing in some way. Uh, what I don't see enough of, I think, humbly, from different organizations, whether they be traditional organizations like NAACP and, and NAN and, and Urban League uh, or the newer, um, you know, organizations and grassroots, is the idea that you're not going to agree on everything. Right. But there should be one seminal issue that we all can agree on. We all can come to the table. We all can attack in a way that isn't organic and it, 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 it's more intentional. Do you hold out hope that we can do that? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, as the executive director of National Action Network, when I was there, mm -hmm. I, I appreciated the idea that there were moments when you would see the big four, if you will, all together on a certain issue, right? Um, I think that they did do that. Um, whether or not we do it consistently enough is a, is a, an issue. Um, and it certainly is a behavior that needs to shift down or not so much down, but over into this newer generation of leaders. Um, we need to be working strong, working more closely together. We do have, I'm, I was getting ready to say something to get me in trouble. <laughs> what I will say is this though, I was watching the King in the Wilderness, which is the documentary about Dr. King's mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. in his last days. Um, and there's this moment where Dr. King is walking in the protest and they're asking him, you know, what do you think we need to do? The reporter's asking questions and he's nonviolent. You know, we've got to stay focused and, and our nonviolence uh, will get us there. And, uh, and then they turn over Stokely Carmichael is walking literally steps away from him. Same March, same time, going in the same direction. And they say, they say to Stokely, what do you think? What's the, he said, we need to burn this whole damn thing mm -hmm. down, right? But they're in the same movement and they're going together. They just have different ideologies about how they're going to get there. Um, I think we have gotten to a point where if we don't agree on either the burning it down and or the nonviolence, we act like we can't even be in the same room. And that's, and that's a dangerous tactic, I believe, of white supremacy where uh, they have created this division among us that some of us are rewarded for certain attitudes and others of us have been ostracized um, for, for, you know, for a different way of thinking. And I, I think we as black folks have to push back against that. Let me read you something that you said in an interview that we did for for the book that I did, which I it rang so true to me. And I want you to kind of further the thought here. I ask you about black leadership and you say a compromised leader can't help people who are considered to be at the bottom. The main the main issue is if you are really going to help the underclass as society has named it, then you're going to have to stare white supremacy in the face and you're not going to be able to back down based upon a few contracts or some benefits to certain organizations. The truth is, and you and I ha have a lot of truthful conversations, particularly when we turn this mic off, uh, but I have often said to the chagrin of many that we are still too reliant on white money. Yep, yep. And until we figure out a way to really fight that beast where we don't have to worry about, am I going to get the grant? 
Am I going to be able to hold my conference this year? Because if I don't get money from department store or auto industry or I can't make payroll, we can say whatever we want. That's our truth. How do we make sure that we break those shackles um, and figure out a way? Because until then, I think you're right. At some point, you're beholden to a beast that you're fighting. Yeah. And I mean, and I think it's not to say that you can't take any deal contracts and work with people. I just did um, with Spike DDB, uh, Spike Lee's agency. I did a Cadillac commercial for Women's History Month. Um, You know, it's not like they paid me a million dollars, but certainly I got a check. Thank God for that. I'm able to continue to take care of my family. But I didn't um, therefore change my messaging Mm -hmm. as a result of it. In fact, they came to me because of who I am and my particular stance. And so I think there are ways to maneuver being able to um, work with and, and to receive reparations, if you will, of those people who take our money out of our community every single day and need to be invested. However, in my organization, Until Freedom, we take little to no corporate dollars, right? Which means we don't have, our bank account is not as fat as some people. So we're constantly struggling for uh, the, the, the resources. But let me just tell you, I get a check for $50 from a woman every week. every week or every two weeks when her paycheck, I guess, cycle, Mm -hmm. they they send me $50. That $50, I look forward to it, Ed. And the reason why this woman is giving me the $50 is because she's she's seen us in her community working on the ground. She, She doesn't see me as being some figure who is too big to actually be there at the meetings, in the community, campus in the communities. I believe that our people will fund the movement if we feel that a a particular time and period is worthy of that. And that's what we're focused on. We're focused on a model that allows the everyday person to invest. We as Black folks alone spend $1.4 trillion a year, which means that if we just spend $10 a month, Within our movement spaces, there will be more money than we can actually spend to hire, uh, to work campaigns and to do advocacy work. But we're not invested in going after those dollars in the right way. And I think that's where we have. Well, I know for us, not I think we are shifting. Our focus is in the uh, the philanthropy, if you will, of individuals versus just trying to go towards corporations for money. And that's a community issue that we have to deal with, because I argue for those of my friends who are HBCU grads, you know, you'll wear that T-shirt, you'll wear it. But I say to them, well, what did you send to the school last year? What are your demands on that school? What are you? So we're going to have to kind of shift our thinking as opposed to just complaining. When we return, a look at the press's depiction of today's black leadership, the question of defunding police and what Juneteenth's elevation to a national holiday really means. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. 
Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We talked about how Tamika, Sean King, and other new, quote, progressive activists, end quote, are often shown by the media as inflexible. They are painted as being closed and having a my way or the highway attitude against those on the other end of policy and ideology. Another criticism is that there is little differential of thought in the latest group of far-left leaders. I mentioned what fellow activist attorney Lee Merritt said to me on an earlier podcast. Black people, for example, are, are seen as Democrats, but, you know, black people, as, as Obama said in his book, um, um, 
Black people believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood for the redemption of their sins, like the conservatives, right? Black people feel um, um, uh, feel believe in the gun rights. Black people have some very conservative values, but we're not allowed to stand on those in, in society today um, because it's so black and white. It's either you're fully left or you're fully right. And I think um, if you speak to Sean or some of the young leaders, Tamika Mallory, uh, myself, you, you will find that we're probably more nuanced than the media portrays us. Uh, that, that, but it's easier to tell the narrative from somebody who is either on one, on either side of a line. Um, but I find even to points that are, that are annoying <laughs> that Sean and I disagree on things that are that we're supposed to be according to this line on the same side of. I wondered what Tamika thought of the media's often generalized narrative. Let's just be very clear. The press is not coming up with that on their own. There are black leaders who are promoting that narrative. Okay. There are people who are looked to as uh, being uh, some of our most powerful elected officials and leadership who go out and say these things about the newer generation of leaders, right? Um, I think about the defund police movement Mm -hmm. um, and how dangerous it is to have people, even President Obama, using certain language to describe us as organizers, basically saying things like, well, you know, your your message is dangerous and it is, um, and, and what was the thing that, it wasn't Obama, I think it was, it may have been Jim Clyburn, who said that we were losing elections because of the defund language, right? And of course, I respect and love President Obama and um, Congressman Clyburn greatly. But the truth of the matter, when you look at Cori Bush, uh, you look at uh, AOC, um, you look at Jamal Bowman, mm-hmm. um, it, the list goes on. These are people who won their elections supporting the defund police movement. So I don't believe that it's true that people don't support where we are in this moment. I think the issue is that it is not politically expedient for others. And therefore, they want to make us look like we are non-negotiable. We just, you know, you can't sit with us. You can't talk to us because we're all of not- or at all or nothing. Yet we all, back to my President Obama point, agree on what the defund police movement means. We all agree. We all agree that we need to balance the budget, take money from some places and apply it to mental health, housing, education, clean food, clean air. We all say that. But then when it comes to this particular word, we're allowing, as you said, the media to frame it a certain way. And we're running around afraid of this of the language rather than committing to coming up with what is the right talking. What is your response to the critics who say defund was the wrong word? It, 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 it is too easily adjustable. Right. Well, from from my perspective, I don't care if you call it Bobo's, you know, dinner time. I don't care what they call it. What I'm saying is that the fundamental points of the defund police movement, we all claim we agree. Mm -hmm. So therefore, there should be since everybody else is so caught up in the language, then what is the new language that you want to use that will help us to actually get it done? Because the problem is that while we're caught up in words, we're not doing what needs to be done to protect communities. And there it there it is. Therein lies the issue for me. It became the fight of the word as opposed to saying 
okay, come on in. Let's right. see if 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 we can agree that maybe there is a better word. Let's get it out there, but let's not lose the message in this. And that was what was happening at some point. Let me take you to something that I think is important for me to ask you and something that has been bothering me again, not of late, but for some time. I am one of those people who says, along with the police brutality, the racism, the inequality, and all of the things that we have to fight and have been fighting from day one, from the day they brought us here, uh, we have to start looking at our issues that we control, the problems in our community, the look in the mirror. There are too many. And, and you know, I grew up in Detroit. I grew up in Detroit when Detroit was murder, the murder capital of the United States. Then I moved to D.C. D.C. took over in that. I have lived in cities that were very violent. We are now seeing, for a myriad of reasons, most of which have nothing to do with us, uh, a level of violence that is being brought about by all of the things that surround us. It's not like we're just malcontent or you know sociopaths yet. The end result are dead black people at the hands of black folks. This has touched your life, uh, you know, and your son's life. The father of Mallory's son was murdered in 2001, putting her on a long list of African-Americans who have felt the sting and devastation of violence that resulted in the deaths of too many black people being killed at the hands of other black people. I asked what she thought our community must do to help curb the violence that has been a scourge for far too long. Give me a sense of how you see where we sit today and what we have to start doing. So just really uh, quickly, in New York, we have a program called the Crisis Management System. Um, This is a program that I, along when I was executive director of National Action Network and and other activists um, in the anti-violence space, particularly fought to um, get in New York. Um, When we started out, I think one weekend, there was about 27 shootings in Harlem alone. Um, And there were folks who had been doing the work in different places around the city of trying to curb violence but they didn't have resources. They didn't have funding. They didn't have offices. They were working out of their homes. You know, Erica Ford of Life Camp in Queens, uh, Brother A.T. Mitchell out in Brooklyn and and a host of other individuals doing the work, no resources, didn't even have paid cell phones to be able to do um, what they're doing. And what they found was that the model, um, and, and we pushed and pushed Bloomberg and those who were in the administration at that time, which Mayor Bloomberg was 100% against giving them anything. But because a mayoral election was coming up, um, they were they were uh, inclined, if you will, to support. Uh, and so they did. So they put the first $5 million in this program. And the basis of it is this idea of holistic uh, approach to addressing violence and other issues in our community. The main thing that they did was hire people who are formerly incarcerated, hire people who have potential to be shooters or have been shooters in the past, mm-hmm. hire victims, hire families, and, and of course, provide wraparound services, um, You know, making sure that people have secure housing when we find that there is an issue, making sure that uh, there is mental health support, making sure that at the hospital, because if you, just so you know, 
The hospital is the main place where retaliation efforts come together. That's the moment when people are emotional. They get together and they decide who's going to be the one to go and retaliate. So this particular program, hospital support is a centerpiece if someone is shot, because that's where they're able to grab people and bring them together and bring the temperature down. That program, $5 million, now it's about $40 million because of different mayor, you know, Mayor Mm -hmm. de Black and others have supported it. In the encatchment areas where they operate, violence, say the 27 shootings became one or two in the same time period. Summertime, they were able to bring violence down. So the reason why I bring this up is because that's what the defund police movement is all about. These, this is why you can't separate the issues. I'm on the voting rights tour, not just because I, you know I'm not a person that is is deeply invested in going out and getting people registered. I do it at election time, but that's not my work. But I understand that voting rights is directly connected to passing the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, and so I get how all these things connect. The defund police movement and dealing with crime in our communities is the same thing, Ed, because we need some of the six billion dollars that the police are receiving in New York as their budget. When you look at all the other services, education, um, our health department, and you put combine their budgets, they don't total the six billion dollars that the police are receiving. So there's an imbalance. We've got to be able to shift some of the monies for public safety into preventative measures where we can get in front of Ray Ray's issues that he's having in his household. Micaiah Bryant, 16 years old, police roll up in Columbus, Ohio, shoot her to death because she's got a knife in her hand and clearly she can harm the other person. The thing that we have to understand about this story, you know, I I, I worked with her family for a brief time and also attended the services She had been telling people that there was a problem with these women, not other children, but these women who she felt were bullying her and attacking her. Every single, uh, the principal, the educators, people who knew her said she was not a problem child. She had no issues. She was a beautiful young kid, but she responded to an attack against her and feeling like, again, the constant bullying was a problem. Well, guess what? These anti-violence folks that I work with, these advocates that are in the community, that's what they do. They find out about the foster home in a community that they know there are issues there and they go in and they work on problems so that Micaiah doesn't have a knife in her hand uh, trying to assault the person or some of those individuals that she feels is there to harm her. And therefore, a police officer never even has to be called. That's what we're trying to get to. That's a vision. It's not just to say, keep pouring more money into policing. It's looking at what are some of the other issues in our community and how can we strengthen those? And that's why I say, and you're right, there are a a myriad of these kinds of programs that have shown that they work dotted throughout this country. And that's when I talk about a a black collective of leadership on a national level to say, okay, Let's pick some of these and push these to roll across nationally because we have uh, a proof of concept here. It works. Let me take you to um, the celebration of Juneteenth 
and how quickly that mm-hmm. moved through Congress. I am one of those who is happy that it's getting its love. I, I, I'm i happy that a lot of black folk are finding out what Juneteenth is because a lot of them same folks who were wearing the T-shirts and all that had no idea what it was. Yet, for me, it's placating. And I want to see the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and George Floyd Justice and Policing, which I know is not as easily moved through. But we have been placated for too long and too often we get the bobble and we walk away for a little while. Uh, I I think we have to stay in front of this. I think that while and, and, and I had to say to one of my sisters and I were debating about it online um, and they you know, reminded me over and over again that Miss Opal and others work really hard yes. to get this day uh, to be federally recognized. And I said, and I'm not talking to Miss Opal. I, I appreciate. I, I need you to continue to do that. Continue, right. uh, whatever you did, whatever secret sauce you had to make them do this, keep going, keep advocating. I'm not talking to her. I appreciate Miss Opal. We ought to hail her as being a leader um, and someone that we should be re- respecting of, um, and and we should and we should honor her. I'm talking to President Biden down mm-hmm. people who are in elected office, I'm talking to specifically white men who are in the process of blocking everything that we need in order to to have some accountability measures and some type of equity in this country. They are blocking it all. But yet they were okay with the idea that we need a holiday to celebrate the freedom that we don't have. And And that they don't want to acknowledge they don't want to acknowledge. They're in the process of telling us we can't even teach what Juneteenth means. But yet they were willing to pass that holiday. You have got to be able to see how people can have mixed feelings here. And if you are someone who is so committed to the idea that this holiday is important and you can't understand the frustration of those of us who are saying, I'm not impressed, I'm not impressed, then it's something wrong with you. Because I can, I can totally see how someone would feel proud and disrespected at the same time. That's that's always been our story. Hasn't it been that we've always felt have our, our black pride? You know, we feel that people have recognized Dr. King. They recognize different periods of in our history. But yet there is so much that we're still fighting for. And I think that the same energy that we use to celebrate is that same energy that we have to have consistently to force these folks to actually pass some legislation that will make a difference. Last question. And it is the one that, you know, it's taught in uh, Interviewer 101 when somebody has a book. We always ask, well, what do you want people who read the book to walk away with? I don't want to ask that. I want you to tell me what you want them to do, because it's not enough just to read the book. No, no, no. Listen, in the book, I talk about this idea, you know, and in the book, and that was one of the difficulties that I had with writing it in in such a short time frame that I wanted to make sure it reached many different offices, not office, Lord have mercy, uh, that it reached (laughs) different audiences, is the word. And um, one of the things I talk about is this idea of the inside, the personal work, that we're showing up in movements without doing anything. Uh, in our own families, in our own homes. You know, I got people that come to me and tell me, you don't do nothing. You ain't nothing. You know, you a fraud. And and they uh, they talk bad to me. 
and their own job is disrespecting them and oppressing them and they're doing nothing there. But they can speak to me about it, but they will not go tell Billy Bob that's down there in human resources the same thing uh, that they're online writing to me. I think we've got to do way more work to address the issues in our personal communities, um, in our circles, in our families. I'm talking to white folks. I'm saying, how can you show up at the front line of a movement and your mama is disrespecting black folks, calling Mexican people out their name? Um, you know, in, in your own family, you're not willing to deal with your mother, but you want to tell me how to lead on these streets. And I want folks to take that book, read it, and then say, okay, I've got some real serious internal work I, I need to do. Um, that for me would be if, if and, and I have folks who have been sending me mes- messages, Ed, saying, I'm looking at myself in a different way. And for me, that was the point. And that's why I wanted Cardi B and Dr. Davis to be together so we could intentionally start off with this idea that this would not be a class um, related book where it's all about the black woke and then the folks who are not woke that are trying to wake up aren't welcome to the conversation. Yeah. And to accept that, you know, woke is different for everybody, you know. Your woke isn't necessarily mine. Well, the book is The State of Emergency, How We Win in a Country We Built. Tamika, always good to talk to you. You know how I feel about you, girl. I love you so much, and I appreciate you having me on. You know, this is the place to come when you want to not just promote, but also talk about our work. And so I love you, Ed. Thank you. Again, a big thanks to Tamika. Her book, State of Emergency, How We Win and the country we built is now on sale. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.
Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.